Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Peter Ferry and Jason Creighton, the design team behind the successfully funded Factions Battlegrounds Kickstarter campaign. They've been friends since they were kids, and Factions Battlegrounds is the duo's first game to market. Jason, Peter, welcome to the binge. How are you doing? We're doing well. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much for letting us uh, take this opportunity. Oh, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I got to thank you guys uh, <laughs> yes. your, for your for your time. I know you guys are busy guys. You just finished this campaign, right? So uh, and successfully funded, I would say. Um, maybe we'll let me just really quickly go through the numbers on uh, on your campaign. So you guys ended up with I'm going to say some Canadian dollars because it always sounds large. <laughs> no. uh, 25000 dollars. <laughs> Uh, on an $8,000 goal, 377 backers for your first campaign. That is incredible. So congratulations to you guys. That is super, super awesome. Thank you so thank, much. Thank you. We appreciate it. So let's start a little bit about kind of the history behind this, because you guys are friends and you've been friends for a long time. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you guys first met? Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, take this one and then Jay could finish it up. Um, but we actually met officially, uh, in about 19, I guess it was 1990 when we were in kindergarten. And, uh, uh, that's when we technically met. I don't have any recollection of any interactions with Jason at the time, but, um, we've just, I guess, known each other as long, literally as long as we can remember, had some very similar interests in, in kind of, uh, terms of board games and fantasy games and, and just games in particular, and a lot of other things too. And we just kind of grew close and grew up together and have stayed in touch ever since. That's Absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. So we, we've had an interest just in the idea of like fantasy games and gaming in general, I feel like all the way until when we were in grade school and we made the original version of the game up until now. So that we've kept that bond uh, for the entire time. Oh, that's amazing. I tell you being, uh, having friends uh, for, the, for that long, I don't think I know anybody from when I was like five. So <laughs> Uh, and to stay friends this long, I think is a testament to probably the kind of back and forth symbiotic relationship you guys have when you approach things like this, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what's your day job? What do you guys, what's like, what do you do before you started making this game? What's what, kind of, what do you guys do for a living? Uh, so I'm a high school art and design teacher. And so the neat thing is we actually have several students who are part of the project who are part of our art and design team. Yep. So it's really cool to be able to have that, that part of it. But yeah, so that's what I do when I wasn't doing factions, I would do to take design projects and illustration projects over the summer. So this replaced that for sure. <laughs> now are you yeah. able to like force play testing with your students and say like, look, your grade is dependent <laughs> on your review. <laughs> no, they, they're actually, there are students who volunteered to test it out. And that was pretty cool. So we actually, had like a club at my at my school called the generals club where we'd have uh several students who actually play tested the earlier versions of the game and gave us feedback oh that's crazy and peter what do you do what, what, what's your job yeah i have a, a background in nonprofits, so i've worked for a few different nonprofits, and and currently i'm a uh in development for a university and uh basically i just ask people for money anyway so it was a <laughs> it was a pretty good fit we had the jason who's the the talented art uh art artist piece of this and me who just kind of bothers people to give them money anyway so it was a perfect match for a kickstarter i guess (laughs) very very complimentary i would say those two uh those two uh jobs and the two styles so uh so your two different roles then okay so um peter you designed the game you came up with kind of the mechanics and so forth and how it played out 
Um, how did that come about? How did, how did you come up with the idea for the game? Yeah. So essentially there were, there were a few different kind of games that I, I really enjoy playing. Jason and I grew up playing magic, the gathering. I mean, that was, okay. that was our life for, for middle school and, and part of high school was just, you know, constantly playing magic, the gathering. So having cards that represented different monsters, uh, kind of in a fantasy setting was a huge thing for us. Um, and then also uh, playing some games like Summoner Wars was a, a big influence on us, and and a few other a few other games. There's also a computer game. It's called Heroes of Might and Magic, where basically you were the general of an army, and you walked around this map, and recruited these different monsters and tried to eliminate the other kingdoms. And so kind of a, a fusing of that. Those were just three things we were always just extremely interested in. So when we kind of had this idea, this at the time insane in my opinion idea to to make a board game yeah um it was always going to be along the lines of this particular genre and so kind of knowing some of those games and adapting some of the the things we liked about them some of the things that we thought we could do differently like not necessarily have a deck um kind of be able to move units over a battlefield uh those were kind of some things that we wanted to put into place and then not having any design experience, uh, and and Jason and it, we did have clear roles, but but we also sure. were had our hands involved in pretty much everything. We oh, just we just yeah. did a lot of trial and error and testing and uh, reiterated the the game about three or four times. But um, that that's kind of the the genesis of of where the mechanics and the the general idea for the game came from. So these different factions, these characters. So is this something that now did I hear somewhere you guys had like drawings or something from like you know, <laughs> basis on or like, yes. how'd that come together? Well, what's the story behind that? Yeah. So actually uh, I still have this, this goosebumps binder that has like 300 of our, of our original drawings that inspired the grade school version of the game, which, you know, the rules don't make any sense, but it gave us like really the framework. And so a lot of the images initially, we did this print run of 300 images uh, when we were making the real version based upon those illustrations. And that really inspired the actual game that we have now. So even the faction names come from some of those original illustrations that we still have currently from grade school. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Now, yeah. are these going to be framed at some point? So when you have <laughs> yeah, your, your gaming studio, people are going to walk in the lobby and you're going to have the original like sketches from high school there? That, that's definitely the goal. They have to definitely. be protected at, yeah, at this point. So yeah, we got to get them out of that goosebumps. Know, that's it's, that's it's the first there. step. It's still there. Yeah. So. <laughs> And then the, the the artwork coming up with the uh, the design for these characters and design for the factions is that something that was collaborative or how did you kind of bounce that off each other being so close in kind of the development of the game where one person's clearly in charge of the art um, how did that dynamic work between the two of you? Well, I'll let Peter start that because he actually created the original framework of it. So, okay. Yeah. So mm -hmm. so basically, it, it's kind of interesting. We went to. Um, a couple of proto spiel events and yeah. uh and we kind of got our game tested and everything and it was great we got great feedback we knew that we had to pretty much start completely over because there are some things that were terrible so uh, but but kind of what we noticed and and this is where kind of the development of our art team and and the uh the mythology behind the game kind of came into play was that everybody there kind of looked they looked kind of like me and you james i mean there's a bunch of middle-aged kind of white guys playing with characters that were inspired sure. from European mythology for the yeah. most part. So when Jason and I kind of got together, we said, let's, let's try to maybe, you know, enhance the, the, the overall world of, of gaming in a way and, and 
build a game that features some mythologies from different parts of Africa, parts of South America that you don't traditionally see in a, in a straight on fantasy game like this. And let's have our art team kind of look like the look like the people that we also want playing the game as well. So that's where Jason kind of came in as a, a, an art teacher and, and having a diverse background of students. Uh, Jason kind of floated the idea and I'll, I'll let you take it away from here. <laughs> yeah. So, so initially it was just Peter and myself when we had it was like about the first year to year and a half of just kind of, you know, play testing again, the game set and just the, the visuals and designs ready. And then I actually recruited uh, about four or five of my students and then actually branched off into seven of them. And so we had those students help create some of the initial framework of the illustrations. And then we actually, we'd have these design meetings where we'd meet, you know, uh, every week and kind of um, bounce things off of Pete just to kind of get things locked in. Yeah. And then initially we hired other artists, so artists that had more experience, a little more professional, but it was originally the students who helped kind of really create the visuals and the framework of the game. And so each faction is really built around one or two different cultures and so in their mythologies as well. well so cool. yeah, and that was the really unique thing. So then to have, you know, even like one faction which has a lot of Native American influences, but it's like the horror elements of their folklore. And so really mm -hmm. to create this different look that you really don't see in the fantasy setting. And that was one of our goals. And then to have the students help implement that in the beginning. Can you talk a little bit about the representation of women in this game? I, one thing I was really impressed by is one of the reviews that I saw. I'm not sure if it was Dice Tower or somebody had done this uh, this review, maybe the Gamers Guild, but they um, it was a non-paid review. It was a review of somebody that just loved the game. And the reviewer made the statement that, look, uh, he had five daughters. And one thing that he really loved about the game is the way the women were represented as characters. Um, in the game, you know, as, as fighters and, and the type of attire and so forth you had them wearing is a game that he felt good about sitting down with his daughters and, and, and playing this, this game. Do you talk a little bit about that? So Pete, start that and I'll talk about how sure. that was with the artists. Yeah. So I think that it's, you know, Jason and I are, are, are not women. We're, we're both men and we both, sure. uh, I think that that part of it was just listening to, to why more women don't play games like this and a, a big recurring thing that that has come up and I know it's been it, it's been getting better and better uh, is that women are not practically geared for battle in a lot of these games or they have body types that are kind of unattainable or yeah. they're they're just represented more more uh, as either you know sex objects or something that, yeah, that men would find yeah. men would find appealing and so just kind of starting from that framework uh, and then just kind of delivering from the ground, from the, from day one saying, let's, let's not do that. Let's not do that as much as we can. And yeah. uh, let's, let's make sure everybody feels comfortable and feels like they can relate to, even though they're mythological monsters for the most part, let's make yeah. sure people can relate to the mythological monsters as, as crazy as that sounds. Let's make sure they feel comfortable, you know, playing the game with, with the cards that are on the table. Oh, that's Absolutely. Awesome. Having two dollars myself, as soon as I heard that, I thought, I got to play this game. <laughs> I got to play this game. I love it. <laughs> now there's two uh, areas where you really put some stakes in the sand here on this game. Uh, the one uh, when, when, when people read your, your Kickstarter page and we're going to get to your Kickstarter page in a second. I mean, you, you, you put it in bold that this is a no luck game. Uh, so that's a pretty major stake to stick on the ground. What, what's the thinking behind that and the rationale? Yeah, so kind of uh, just to jump into a little bit of the mechanics on how we how we actually did that is is each unit you you start with as many units as you want as many yeah. units as as you can play. Uh, they all have an ability called rank, so the units actually move based on their rank attribute. So James, let's say you have a unit with a rank of four, I have a unit with a rank of three. Your unit would move first, then my unit, 
And then once all the units have moved, that the next round would begin. So there's not really any turns in that way. Um, and then as far as the luck goes, uh, we wanted it to be because of the rank system, everything is reliant on your choice so that the combat is, is fixed. So units have an attack stat, that's how much damage they do, that's how much damage they'll take. There's no uh, dice or anything like that. Uh, you build the battleground beforehand. So that way you can kind of tactically decide where you're gonna place your units and choose where you're gonna you know, attack, where you're gonna defend, that sort of thing. And then there's no deck either. You start the game with 12 units. You can choose any of those 12 units to start with. Hmm. And there's different opportunities throughout the game where you can purchase or recruit any unit that you'd like. So you have all your options available. So basically kind of the way that we skirted around uh, luck for the most part, I guess you could say is, uh, by saying, let's put all the options on the table. You have all your options on the table and all, all of those options are not based around luck. So it's your choices versus your opponent's choices. And why did you want to do that? I guess is my question. Yeah, so I think one of the things that we wanted to do completely differently uh, from Magic was, was have no deck. Uh, we wanted yeah. it to be basically, you know, we, we want it to basically be like, you are the general, here's what you have in front of you. Um, one thing that we didn't like is, is you draw land and you draw like six more lands in magic and, and, you know, you couldn't really get to the cards you wanted to play or the cards you really yeah. like. So we, we just kind of thought, and you know, this is coming from almost no gaming background. We thought, I don't like that. We don't like that. Let's, let's have it. So you can play your best cards if you want. Uh, and yeah. if you do, there's a cost to that, you know, it, that's up to you, but, uh, let's just have it so that everything's on the table. Um, and that's kind of, I think, the, the basic reason why. That was kind of a day one decision, and we just kind of went with it. Uh, not, and, then, and then as we went, we realized, hey, this is unique. There's, there's not luck in our game, and there's luck in all these other games. So let's kind of stand by that and, and double down on that a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely uh, various camps in the uh, board game industry around luck and how much luck should be in a game. And there's some people that absolutely hate having any luck elements. Uh, the one that always makes me laugh is when people say they hate dice, but they're more than happy having a randomly shuffled deck of cards. There you go. <laughs> so, um, and then the other decision you guys made was not to put minis in here. And for me, the natural inclination of someone doing an RPG game or a game that's got, you know, D and D type characters is to gravitate towards minis, right? And they, I think one of our former guests called it a uh, plastic crack, right? It's like everybody <laughs> on Kickstarter is finding ways to cram minis into their game and you guys decide not to do that. So what was part of the decision not to do minis on this particular game? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. So uh, initially really the goal was then to be able to get artists who have really even worked on a product like this involved in it. So uh, we have, I mean, at, at this point, what, eight, eight illustrators who are involved in the project just for illustrating the factions. And so especially to incorporate, really get women artists involved to help create the designs of those characters you were talking about earlier, but then also people of color. So to give them the opportunity to be able to create the level of representation that we mm -hmm. wanted to incorporate and do it through illustrations and not just do it through illustrations. One of our goals was to not have the artwork look um, for lack of a better term, like very stereotypical uh, in regards to the style you would see in fantasy. Sure. And we really wanted to give the artists the opportunity to be able to stylize their artwork and, and really incorporate things you don't see in traditional fantasy settings. And that was one reason for sure. And just a, from a cost standpoint, we could, we could be able to give the game and really get, um, I, I feel like new gaming demographics um, involved in it if we had a cheaper price point than using minis as well. Sure. So let's talk about the game itself. Uh, so explain basically how uh, factions 
Battlegrounds works, um, the, the, the basic essence of the game and um, kind of the elements that someone would get if they decided that this is a game that they're wanting to play or, or purchase. Yeah, sure. So Factions Battlegrounds is a two to four player head to head uh, combat strategy game. Basically, it, it involves uh, resource management and, and tile placement so that you build the battleground in that way. And then you uh, you are the take on the role of a general who is uh, commanding various different monsters and soldiers going up against an opponent general or generals who are doing the same thing. Um, each unit has four core stats. They have the rank stat, which I kind of touched on a little earlier. They have movement, which is how far they can move across the board. They got their attack attribute, and then they have their, their health attribute, how much damage they can deal, how much damage they can take, essentially. Uh, each unit also costs a certain amount of gold, and uh, there's different ways to gain gold throughout the game, and, and there's different resource centers and things like that. But that gold cost also equals the amount of victory points that your opponent would score for eliminating a unit. So, and then you play up to 25 uh, victory points. So James, let's say you play eight gold, an eight gold unit, which is one of the better units in the game. Yep. It can do all kinds of cool spells, has some cool abilities. That's great. But then I managed to eliminate the unit. I am almost a third of the way to the, to the, to the victory total right there. So, right. So uh, essentially there's kind of a risk reward, we call it a uh, combat system, which the word risk, it sounds like there's, there's luck involved there, but basically sounds kind of lucky. Yeah. <laughs> it, you could say that you could say that, but basically you're, you're choosing to, to risk how, how many points you want your opponent to, to be able to potentially get through their choices. So the um, more, um, the stronger the unit you're using, the greater the chance somebody's going to probably target it because there's a greater reward for them targeting that unit, right? So that's kind of the risk you're taking is, yeah, I can go for a more a stronger uh, opponent, but that's going to be a target that then my opponents can try to get the winning conditions sooner, right? Yes, Correct. absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then and you so place that, down these terrain tiles, right? So these terrain tiles sure. you have. So how does that work? How, how do they come together? So you've got this, for people listening, they've got like a board that's got like a grid on it. And then it comes with these terrain tiles and each tile has kind of, I guess, four squares on that have different terrains. How do those get kind of placed? Cause that's the beginning of the game, the setup at the beginning, right? Yeah. Go ahead, Jay. I'll let you, I can let you take this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so on the board, uh, so there are, are nine spots available. Mm. Um, and each of those spots uh, fits a terrain tile and the terrain tile has four spaces for your unit to move along. And so the idea is each faction has their own terrain. So for example, um, a faction called Germano has more Island spaces. So in their terrain tiles, they have more water spaces than other factions. Mm. Uh, and so for example, Doom Sandwich is a desert faction. They have more land spaces. Um, and so the idea is you place those to kind of create advantages in regards to how you move because you can uh, attack and move diagonally on your own home terrain, but you can't do that on your opponents. And so it does matter where you place things initially when you're setting it up, mm -hmm. but also you your units generate resources on your own home terrain. So it's good to place them in spaces where you can easily uh, move along that those areas have access to them. So setting it up initially does uh, make a big difference because it's almost a game within a game in regards to how you set it up because you can make it more difficult um, for you to be able to move along those spaces and also claim resources uh, when they're on the board as well. And then how many of these, um, uh, of these, these tiles are there? So is it, is it just the nine and those nine get arranged in different configurations or is there like a whole bunch of different ones you can kind of choose from and you're deciding how to place those? So each faction comes with five different terrain tiles. Okay. They each yeah. are, they're each kind of 
custom, like some of them, as Jason mentioned, they have more water than land or more land than water. Uh, yep. Each faction has a different kind of ratio for that based on their strengths and weaknesses. Um, and then in a, in, and then on a two player game, there's, there's nine spots where you can place it three player game. There's 12 spots. And then a four player game, there's 16 spots with each, uh, general or player placing four of their terrain tiles. So it, uh, it, that the thing we liked about that is it, it, it increases the replayability because, because we've never played a game where people have placed the same terrain tiles in the same spots, uh, which is really, uh, something that we were seeking to, to do with our game as well is enhance some of the replayability. So you have a lot of different mixes, combinations, permutations. So it's always a different gaming experience every time you're playing the game, which is kind of cool. Um, again, Mike is in the lobby. Here's he, his question was with the elimination of all luck, does that eliminate the chances of winning for someone who's an underdog or maybe less experienced player? I'd say absolutely. Uh, uh, go ahead, Jay. <laughs> No, I, I would say because of the risk reward system, the nice thing about that essentially is because again, if you were to place a unit that has a higher goal cost, you eliminate it, then you get that amount of points right away. Yeah. So I feel like even if you're down, Peter and I play plenty of games where let's say I'm down all oh, to like, you know, 10 points. And just by eliminating one unit, I can get right back in the game. So I feel like that we never have that issue when people play it. Yeah, I'd say experienced players, if they once they know how to uh, kind of play, they they can pull they can pull well ahead. But there's some several different kind of mechanics that allow players to get back in the game uh, that aren't really luck based. For example, like kind of like Jason was mentioning, if if he's too close to my what's called the base camp where my units come out of the enter the battleground, it's very easy for me to push his units back and and just kind of catch back up in the game in that way. The other thing that we that we included was the the opportunity instead of recruiting units at the very beginning of the round what happens is you can recruit units at the very end of the round so okay. so once i move my unit too closer I, I take a risk and try to attack one of jason's units that's uh that's pretty close to where his units enter from then my unit is stuck there and then jason has a chance at the end of the round to recruit a unit to just come out and, and knock my units back and force me back so i have to decide how quickly do i want how aggressive do i want to be um, but overall, typically the more experienced player is going to win, uh, three out of four times if they're really good. But, okay. uh, you know, there's always, if, if an opponent takes advantage of a mistake, then, uh, it could be anyone's game. Mm-hmm. It certainly gives I think somebody some, um, incentive to, to, to try different factions and try, uh, different ways to, uh, to take that person down and maybe increase their skill level as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Jason's this- Jason's a lot better than I am at it. Actually, <laughs> you know, I, it's kind of funny. I usually, I guess, like maybe this is a playtesting thing, but I always, I always test to test different mechanics in the game, and then all of a sudden, I find myself uh, losing pretty much every time <laughs> yeah. to a lot of people. So, <laughs> yeah. So this is your first Kickstarter that you guys have done. Um, uh, the, so the two of you have gone at this. What's something you would say um, is is something that you've was kind of a big learning for you guys coming in and something that you would maybe advise other people who are starting their first Kickstarter for the first time that something they should maybe consider when they're coming in. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll go first, Jake, cause I know you have a, a lot too, but I think this community is, is very unique in that everyone is just so incredibly helpful and wants to see you succeed because they want to see your game and try your game. And I, I haven't been a part of a, uh, I guess a community, I guess you could say that that really wants to help other people succeed who could potentially potentially be competitors. I put that in quotes, but yeah, um, like, co-opetition. Yeah, co-opetition, for example, like your producer was a phenomenal help. I mean, the Facebook groups were phenomenal helps. Our, our social media community, every convention we went to, people, you know, were, were just so helpful, willing to share information, 
Um, and it was really welcoming and it was really encouraging because there's obviously a ton of ups and downs with designing a game, but yeah. that gets you through the downs like like none other, in my opinion, is, is people cheering for you to succeed and willing to not only cheer for you, but also willing to help and information share and say, you know, this is a good idea for you. This is a good idea for you. Maybe think about something different from that. But I think, I think just learning, learning the community and, and listening to the community and asking the community for help is, is unbelievably uh, helpful. Absolutely. So going along with what Peter is saying, just the idea of community. And so for us, the, our goal was to be able to build that community roughly about, it was about a year and a half before we launched. And okay. so just how important that is, because then essentially people are used to you and your brand and going along with the idea of them being used to you, the idea of you sharing what you've learned along the way, because then they know not just your game, but they know you as a person and you as the creator. And I feel like that makes a big difference in regards to them being able to connect uh, to what you're doing. And then the idea is that they want to support you. Uh, and also when you're sharing those things, it's a way to give back. So for the, so they can learn from your, you know, your highs and your lows and your failures and your successes. And that just makes a big difference along the way as you build towards the launch itself. Yeah, you have a fairly large uh, Instagram uh, following, I think about 3,500. So mm-hmm. building that over a year and a half, what are some of the things you did to build that up? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so essentially people who followed us very early on, they saw some of the initial designs. And so we try to get the community involved and, and get their feedback in regards to things we would like to know. So things that they could see that we couldn't see because we're so close to the game. So having them along for that process and that journey, but also trying to get them involved in just the, the artwork and the lore of the game. And so really getting them excited about that. So that way they were really into it when it was time for the actual launch. And I would say those are the two biggest things. So getting their feedback and their involvement along the way, but also allowing for them to see what makes the game special and unique. And a huge part of that was the artwork and the mission behind the game itself. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, James, we were kind of talking a little bit before you, you kind of uh, asked about uh, how our Instagram community um, was large and, and some of our other communities aren't, yeah. you know, quite as big. That's That was intentional from the start as well, because when Jason and I were thinking about uh, our target audience and, and opening the game up and, and exposing it to more um, underrepresented populations, uh, we knew that a lot more of them were on Instagram uh, and using Instagram than Facebook. So mm. um, Jason really opened up to what's called the blurred community and I'll, I'll let him explain that, but they were, they were Facebook using a lot more than, or I'm sorry, Instagram using a lot more than, than Facebook. So we kind of just were like, let's, let's drive this thing from Instagram uh, and put our primary focus and resources on that. And then everything else will, will build as we go. But, but that's been our engine from again, day one, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so just the idea of like knowing, of course, your audience, your demographics. So, so Blur just stands for Black Nerd. And so they have a, a huge interest. Yeah. And just in like pop culture, so sci-fi and fantasy. And we really wanted to be able to then reach that audience, which they didn't have as big a presence in Facebook and, you know, in, in traditional like board gaming groups and tabletop groups. But they were highly involved in Instagram just in regards to fantasy groups and these pop culture groups. And we, and we knew this would be the best way to reach them and get them on board for what we're doing just through uh, Instagram, just as the medium. Oh, wow. That's cool. And certainly it's paid off for you. I mean, to, to yes. hit the, the, the numbers you guys hit. Now, did you spend money on any ads or anything like that? Or was there any kind of ads going into the, the campaign or during the campaign that you ran? Or uh, not, not as much during the campaign. We did, we did some more uh, um, Instagram ads, really, again, like, yeah. like primarily to, to grow our community and especially around a lot of our posts that, that showed, um, kind of some different artwork or, or you, something unique about the game. 
our, our game, we wanted it to be one of the very first board game, fantasy board games that, that a lot of people kind of either saw themselves in or played. And we really want this game to be almost a, I know the term gateway game is a, a more simplistic game that gets people more involved in other games, sure. but we want this to be a gateway game for other fantasy games that just introduces a whole oh, new group okay. of people and, and are, who are eventually going to play all kinds of different RPGs and different fantasy games. And I think we're, we're starting to see, it's really refreshing when we see people say, this is the first board game I bought, or this is the first, or I, I didn't know that games like this were around. And so we're like, yeah, there's millions of them. Just wait, wait till you get involved. You're going to get hooked. But it's an addiction uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, that's, that's like really, I think was our, our, one of our primary focuses with this game. So now the dust is settled and I mean, by settled the campaign's done, we still got to actually go and now make the game. Right. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you've got now eyes on the future as to what the next step is. Are you looking to do like an expansion of this game or introduce more factions? Where, where does this game kind of expand from here? Yeah. So we, we want to do a, an expansion uh, with the game, a, a little one down the line, but primarily what we want to do is focus on the awesome uh, kind of culture and world that surrounds each of the factions and, and do a little bit of world building, uh, bring in some different unique characters and, and some backstory and, and develop kind of a, a cool geography and uh, really just kind of dive into that aspect of it. That's cool. And then how are you going to do that? Is that just more in terms of storytelling? Is it through your Instagram channels? Or are you guys looking maybe graphic novel? Where, where does it kind of go from there? Well, I'll, I'll let Jason say this. Yeah, he he doesn't like to say this, but his background is actually, uh, he's he's uh, done some comic books. Uh, so okay. I'll just I'll just lead with that for you. Oh, <laughs> I would say all the above, James. So so really, our, we do want to have an expansion down the road, which will kind of complete the factions and give our, our the players just more options in regards to what they can choose from and be yes. able to combine factions potentially. Uh, but then also we really want to get to the point where we can create graphic or like at least like short stories for the time being. So, and then uh, just small stories that will really introduce people to a little bit of the lore and the characters in the factions just to really get their appetite wet for something larger like graphic novels uh and then potentially we would love to have this developed as a mobile app as well so i feel like those are the three largest uh targets and things you'd like to focus on next oh wow well that sounds <laughs> super exciting and i can't wait to see how this thing kind of flushes out as you guys go forward uh, you've done an amazing job on this campaign and uh, Thank you. I know you guys Thank have you just got to be super, super pumped. So I want to wish you guys all the best eh, uh, for these uh, this holiday season uh, to you and your families. And I uh, can't wait to see how this thing uh, manifests in the day uh, next year. Thank awesome. you very much for having us and you have happy holidays as well. Yeah, Take thanks care. so much, James. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.